When our loved ones are in hospital, we expect them to be cared for until they have recovered and are ready for discharge. We certainly don't expect them to be seeming to improve before meeting a tragic fate. That is exactly what happened to the poor neonates or neonatals on one ward in a hospital in Chester. This is the horrific case of Lucy Letby. Welcome back, our fellowship detectives, to another episode. This one is quite a heavy case, so please, if you are not in the right frame of mind to listen to the nature of this case, please take care of yourselves. We hope to see you in a future episode. The trigger warnings for this case are as follows. Neonatal death and murder. Medical jargon. A bit about policies and procedures and mental instability. Now, over to Turtle with the background. Hello everyone, I'm going to start with a bit of a disclaimer that I have a cold. So if I sound like I'm hard of breathing or anything like that, it's just the season for being in a cold. Now, on to the background. Lucy Letby was born on the 4th of January 1990 in Hereford, Herefordshire in the UK. She was an only child of a furniture retail boss, John Letby, now aged 77, and accounts clerk, Susan Letby, now aged 63. She went to school at Aylston School and went on to study at Hereford Sixth Form College. At one point, she even had a part-time job at WH Smith. According to a friend of Lucy's, who had known her since secondary school, Lucy was, quote, very grateful for being alive to the nurses who helped save her life when she had experienced a very difficult birth. According to the same friend, it was her traumatic birthing experience that had led her to want to be a nurse for all of her life. Her friend is quoted as saying, everything that she did was geared towards the ultimate goal of becoming a nurse. Let's head over to Echo with Lucy's education. Lucy pursued her education in nursing at the University of Chester, and it was there where she also worked as a student nurse during her three years of training. She also carried out placements at Liverpool Women's Hospital and the Countess of Chester Hospital. She was the first of her family to study at university and subsequently graduated in September 2011. It's said that Lucy had a relatively normal upbringing with no issues. Oh, sorry. It's said that Lucy had a relatively normal upbringing with no suggestion that she endured a distressing or abusive childhood which is often the case with other convicted serial killers. Her parents appeared to be quite supportive of their daughter, going so far as to put a notice in the local newspaper to celebrate her graduation, which read, Let be Lucy, BSc Ons in Child Nursing. We are so proud of you after all of your hard work. Love, Mum and Dad. Back to Turtle. Lucy lived alone in a semi-detached house close by to the Countess of Chester Hospital with her two rescue cats. There aren't any details though regarding her relationship status. It's said that Lucy had a lot of friends and was well liked by her colleagues. When so many babies died under her supervision, which seemed to be as a result of underlying health conditions, colleagues would send her messages of support and would check in on her. Lucy began working as a registered nurse at the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital in 2012 and in 2013 a staff profile was created and she said in this that she was 
responsible for caring for a wide range of babies that required various levels of support. She stated that she enjoyed seeing them progress and supporting their families. She also took part in a campaign to raise funds for a new neonatal unit at the hospital. In late 2012 and 2015, Lucy had two training placements at Liverpool Women's Hospital. She qualified to work with the infants who required intensive care in 2015, and it was the same year that the suspicious incidents began. It's said that Lucy had told others that she found the work in non-intensive care boring, and she sought the action of the intensive care unit. When she was moved to day shifts, the suspicious incidents also moved with her. No longer were they occurring overnight. Instead, they were happening in the daytime, whenever Lucy was working. This is a pretty heavy case, so we are going to take a moment to have a breather here and give the answer to last week's quiz question. So, last week's question was, Angel of Death, Nurse Beverly Allett, received 13 life sentences for bringing terror to a children's ward in 1991, murdering four kids, attempting to murder three more, and causing grievous bodily harm to another six. In what English county was the now derelict hospital where the crimes took place? A. Northumberland B. Lincolnshire C. North Yorkshire If you answered B. Lincolnshire, then you were right! So well done, and enjoy the coffee in your cupboard that you bought because you deserve it. And don't forget to click that like button and stay tuned for the next quiz question, which will be later in this episode. Now, with the background established, let's delve into these suspicious circumstances and discuss the crime. Over to Turtle. The first victim was the baby, whose identity has been withheld to protect the grieving family and the deceased. Baby A was a twin boy who was born and unfortunately lost his life in early June 2015. He was premature and had been delivered by caesarean section at 31 weeks. Following his birth, he was subsequently admitted to the neonatal unit's intensive care room. Baby A was stable and had been breathing without oxygen support on the 8th of June 2015. That was until Lucy came on shift at 7.30pm and took over care from another nurse. It was at 8.30pm that Lucy called the doctors to his incubator because he was deteriorating rapidly. Despite every attempt to resuscitate baby A, he was declared dead at 20.58. The poor baby had collapsed and died as a result of deliberate injection of air into his bloodstream. The key symptoms of air injection are a rapid and inexplicable collapse that doesn't respond to treatment and the appearance of an unusual skin rash. Thank you, Echo. I've got more to add, but I'll let you continue first. In the case of Baby A, multiple medics had noted patches of pink over blue skin that seemed to appear and disappear. A post-mortem x-ray revealed a line of gas in front of the spine, which was described as unusual by paediatric radiologist Dr. Owen Arthurs. He stated that its appearance was consistent with, but not a diagnostic of air having been administered. Dr. Andreas Morandus, a pathologist who reviewed the case, said it would be reasonable to conclude that the air in baby A's circulatory system was most likely caused by the administration of air through one of the tubes connected to the baby. So, what occurred with baby A is known as an air embolism. This is also called a gas embolism. 
It occurs when one or more air bubbles enter a vein or artery and block it. This is potentially a serious condition. When an air bubble enters a vein, this is known as a venous air embolism, and when an air bubble enters an artery, it's known as an arterial air embolism. These air bubbles can travel to the brain, heart, or lungs, and can cause heart attacks, stroke, or even respiratory failure. I will stress this though, air embolisms are rather rare. Out of respect for the families, I won't go into further detail regarding this. Thank you again. Always a pleasure. Um, I do have a question about air embolis, actually. Go on. So, you know when you get in an injection or something, like a, like a vaccine? Yeah. Um, or, you know, some of the more nefarious other reasons that one might choose to have an injection. That's why you're supposed to keep keep your syringe shut before the it's in contact with the fluid, isn't it? So that you don't get an air embolus. Pretty much, yeah. And it's also why, like, um, you'll see um, physicians um, push so that they're pushing all the air bubbles out um, beforehand to prevent an air embolism. Though it. I will say as well, it takes a lot of air to create an air embolism. Oh yeah. Like, you can be on an IV and you'll see like the small little air bubbles sometimes just float through and more often than not you'll be fine because it's so minuscule. It's when it's large quantities of air. Thanks again. No props. 28 hours after the death of baby A. His twin sister, Baby B, collapsed in the early hours of the 10th of June, 2015. She required some resuscitation at birth, but had recovered quickly and stabilised. Then, at around midnight on the 10th of June, Baby B's heart rate suddenly plummeted and her alarm monitor sounded. Lucy was among the medics to attend to Baby B. It was noticed during resuscitation that she had some purple blotches and white patches all over her body, as her brother had also had. One of the nurses who treated her said she looked very ill. She looked very much like her brother did the night before. I just remember thinking, not again, to see a sister with the same appearance. Thankfully though, Baby B recovered and was discharged a month later. It was agreed by medical experts that Baby B had also been subjected to some sort of sabotage and it is theorised she may have been injected with a dose of air. Baby C was born in early June 2015 and weighed one pound and 12 ounces at the time of his premature birth. However, despite this, it was recorded that he was in a good condition and stable. Baby C was being kept in nursery one, which is the highest priority section of the neonatal unit. This was so that he could be kept under close supervision. This was so that he could be kept under close observation. Then, on the night of the 13th of June 2015, he suddenly stopped breathing. His collapse was at around 2315 BST, and it's believed this was caused by air being inserted into his stomach via a nasogastric tube. Lucy was the designated nurse for another child located in Nursery 3. She just so happened to be present in Nursery 1 when Baby C collapsed. Medics unfortunately failed re- medics unfortunately failed to revive him 
and he was pronounced dead at 0558 on the 14th of June. In relation to Baby C, Dr. Bowen said that babies like this should not collapse and that there would have been prior warning that something was amiss. He's quoted as saying, I don't go from being stable into cardiorespiratory situation within minutes. They rarely collapse in this way, but they are usually responsive to resuscitation, and he was not. Baby D was the third child murdered in a two-week period. She was a baby girl, and her mother's water spurt had broken on the 18th of June 2015, but she wasn't given a cesarean section until two days later, after attempts to induce labour had been made. Despite there being concerns about her mother having an infection, she hadn't been prescribed antibiotics. When baby D was delivered, her mother described her as looking lifeless and was very worried because the newborn appeared to be limp, struggling to breathe and not an even colour. It has since been accepted that the failure to give antibiotics was a legitimate target of criticism, and so it should be. However, despite baby D being ill, it was noticed that she was noticed. It was noted that she was responding well to treatment and was not expected to deteriorate. Then during the night shift of the 21st to the 22nd of June, baby D collapsed several times. Medics were struck by the sight of brown and black discoloration to her skin. Resuscitation attempts failed and she was pronounced dead at 0425 BST on the 22nd of June. It has been agreed by medical experts that while there was clear evidence of an infection, the deterioration of baby D and an unusual rash on her skin was caused by an injection of air. Baby E was a premature twin boy, born in late July 2015. And initially he required breathing support, but did stabilize in the days that followed. On the evening of the 3rd of August, his mother visited him in the neonatal unit. When describing that visit, she is quoted as saying, I could hear my son crying and it was nothing like, and it was like nothing I had heard before. And I walked over to the incubator to see blood coming out of his mouth. I panicked because I felt there was something wrong. She recalled Lucy standing at a nearby workstation when she entered the room. It is claimed that Lucy told the mother that a registrar was on the way and that she should go back to her ward. Baby E later deteriorated. His mother was brought back to the unit and sat outside in the corridor as medics unsuccessfully attempted to resuscitate him. And those minutes must have been the longest minutes of her life. My heart absolutely broke while writing the script, especially at this point. Baby E had lost 25% of his blood volume before his death in the early hours of the 4th of August. Dr. Dewey Evans, a medical expert, said that this could have been the result of an inappropriate use of a medical tool. He concluded that Baby E's death was the result of internal bleeding and an injection of air. Just one day after Baby E died, his twin brother, Baby F, was targeted. It was after midnight on the 4th of August 2015 as Baby F received a new feed oh yeah. received a new feed of nutrients via a bag connected to an intravenous line. Shortly after his heart rate sky his heart yeah, that was right. I don't know what I thought I said. I think I thought I said heart rate. 
Shortly after, his heart rate skyrocketed and his blood sugars plummeted. Blood samples taken from Baby F returned an extremely high insulin level of 4,657 alongside a very low C-peptide level of less than 169. Um, what was what does that mean for those listening at home? In basic terms, he had been given artificial insulin. Well, is going to go into that next anyway. Oh, I apologise. <laughs> it's okay. It's um, his insulin levels were far too high um to be classified as normal, which meant that his um blood sugars would have plummeted. He would have been hypo severely hypoglycemic. Um, I don't really want to go into too much, but that's basically the gist of all of that. Okay. Dr. Evans said that there was only one explanation for the astonishing blood results. This time, the method of choice had been to administer insulin to baby F. The only explanation for Baby F's results was that he had received insulin from some outside source. Dr. Evans had concluded that the drug was most likely to have been added to the baby's total per parental nutrition, known as a TPM bag. We have previously covered what a TPM bag is in the episode Medical Murder, but to give a very brief recap, a TPN is intravenously provides feeds. Thankfully, Baby F did eventually make a full recovery following a decision that was made in the early evening to cease giving him nutri nutrients from the second stock bag. The next victim was the most premature of all the babies, Baby G. She was a baby girl and weighed only one pound three ounces at birth in May 2015. In the weeks after her birth, she had a number of septic or suspected septic episodes which required antibiotics and had received a total of nine blood transfusions. She was transferred from Arrow Park Hospital in Wirral to the Countess of Chester's neonatal unit in mid-August and was classed as clinically stable up until the 7th September. It was noted that she had projectile vomited at about 2,000... 2,000... At about... 2 o'clock BST and her abdomen looked purple and distended. 0-200 was what I was trying to go for. Her oxygen levels plummeted and she stopped breathing multiple times over the following hours. She did respond to breathing support on ventilation. I am going to insert here that to ventilate a baby they often use an LMA which stands for laryngeal mask. These are similar to eye gels, if you know what they are, but have an inflatable cuff rather than being made of thermoplastic elastoma. This is classified as the gold standard of neonatal ventilation, from my knowledge. On to Baby G. Baby G had been overfed with milk through a nasogastric tube and or potentially had air injected into the same tube. On the 21st of September, another attempt was made on Baby G. The repeated attempts on her life left her with quadriplegic cerebral palsy and now requires round-the-clock care. The next victim was Baby H, a premature baby girl who was delivered via caesarean section in September 2015. 
at the Countess of Chester. Soon after, she experienced breathing difficulties and was transferred to Nursery One. The case regarding Baby H was complicated by the suboptimal treatment she was provided. The case regarding Baby H was complicated by the suboptimal treatment that had been provided to Baby H. One of which was the unacceptable delay in intubating and administering medicines to help her lungs. When she was eventually put on a ventilator, she was left with butterfly needles in her chest for prolonged periods, which also may have punctured her lung tissue. I'm going to insert this here as well. Leaving the butterflies in her chest for prolonged periods of time would have left her at risk of complications such as sepsis. Unfortunately, when writing the script, I was unable to find whether the staff had been following the protocol in regards to checking the butterflies to reduce the likelihood of developing an infection. It's claimed that Baby H was first attacked in the early hours of the 26th of September 2015, and then again the following morning, after his designated nurse had temporarily left the intensive care room. Baby I was another premature baby. She was born at Liverpool Women's Hospital and then transferred to the Countess of Chester on the 18th of August 2015. In the first few weeks of life, she had a few problems with her breathing, but all had obvious causes and all were resolved. Then on the 30th of September, baby I needed an emergency attention after she vomited and her heart rate dropped. She then collapsed again on the 13th and 14th of October before a fatal deterioration on the 23rd of October. It's believed that the fourth attempt to murder the baby eye was by administering a fatal dose of air into her bloodstream. Dr Evans is quoted as saying that it was in his professional opinion that air had been injected into her stomach. That interferes with your ability to move your diaphragm up and down and that interferes with your breathing. Basically, on a massive scale sort of <laughs> what like I know I should have mentioned this when we were discussing baby H and the butterflies um, with your butterfly needles with cannulas anything like that that is a needle that is well that is inserted into the skin that is going to be there and used for intravenous fluids um drawing blood, anything like that. There are protocols in place where you have to monitor those needles. I could not find, considering that they were left in, and left in longer than what was needed, and were in for prolonged periods of time, what really bothers me about it is that you you just don't know if that protocol was being followed to check for potential infection. Yeah. And I could find absolutely nothing. Absolutely no mention of that. And my concern is that it is quite possible, having left them for prolonged periods of time, that they weren't monitoring it, they weren't following the protocols regarding it, and quite likely they could have started becoming infected um, and that is to me 
lethal usage of suboptimal, which is used in a lot of the media that covered Lucy Letby. They said it was suboptimal care. It was mentioned in court as being suboptimal. I think that's an understatement. It was appalling, to say the least. It suboptimal feels like a brush under the carpet sort of thing. It's yeah. unacceptable in my opinion. There needs to be an investigation into how she got away with it for so long. Oh yeah, um, there is one. It does go into that later. <laughs> Spoilers! Um, Baby Jay was born prematurely at the Countess of Chester in late October 2015. She was transferred to Alder Hay Hospital in Liverpool on the 1st of November after it had been discovered that she had a bowel condition which required surgery. She did well in recovering though and so returned to Chester on the 10th of November where she remained stable until the uh, where she remained stable until the early hours of the 27th of November. Baby Jay suffered two unexplained seizures within a 30 minute period and needed urgent breathing support. She hadn't suffered a seizure at any point before that episode. Dr. Evans said that the collapse didn't have a straightforward explanation and claimed that it could be consistent with some form of obstruction of her airways, such as smothering. Although, though, an alternative explanation has been raised regarding Baby J and that is that she had received inadequate care from the Countess of Chester Hospital rather than the assumption of her being the victim of deliberate harm. Baby K was considered to be in as good a condition as possible for a baby born that early after being born at 25 weeks and weighing just one pound 10 ounces. Precautionary measures were made an hour and a half after baby K's birth, which were to transfer her to a more specialist unit at Arrow Park Hospital in Wirral. We're going with it. In Wirral. While waiting for Lucy... Uh, no. While waiting for transport, Joanne Williams, baby K's designated nurse, left the baby girl in Lucy's care. In the early hours of the 17th of February 2016, it said that Baby K's breathing tube was deliberately dislodged. Dr. Ravi, I'm really sorry if you ever hear this, I cannot pronounce your last name and I don't want to absolutely butcher it. Said that he felt uneasy about Lucy being left with Baby K. He's quoted as saying, At this point in mid-February, we were aware as a team of a number of unexpected and unusual events and we were aware of an association with Lucy Letby. That's all we were aware of. No cause and effect had been ascribed. Dr. Ravi said that when he went to check on baby Kay, he saw Lucy standing by her incubator. He noticed that the girl's breathing tube had become dislodged and that Lucy was doing nothing to correct the dis desaturation until he arrived. Medics made resuscitation efforts and she was given rescue breaths and did eventually stabilise, but died three days later. In early April 2016, a twin boy referred to as Baby L was stabilised after treatment for mild hypoglycemia, which, for those that don't know, is low blood sugar, with hypo, meaning low, 
Gly in reference, Gly C, should I say, in reference to blood sugar and emia being presence in blood. Baby L was moved to a nurse. Baby L was moved to nursery one, which is the highest priority section of the neonatal unit. Shortly after he was born, Lucy was caring for two other babies in the nursery on a day shift on the 9th of April. Following Lucy's arrival, baby L's glucose levels fell abnormally low, and he needed to be given additional doses of glucose in an attempt to correct the hypoglycemia, which unfortunately proved ineffective. Blood was taken and the results subsequently revealed an astronomically high level of insulin in his blood, with the reading being at the very top of the scale that the equipment was capable of measuring. Baby L did go on to recover and was later discharged from hospital the following month. It has been said that the only explanation for this anomaly was that synthetic insulin had been administered despite the fact baby L was not prescribed insulin. Baby L's twin brother known as Baby M suffered an unexpected life-threatening event at approximately 4pm on the 9th of April 2016. This was around the same time that his twin brother suffered the severe hypoglycemia. Dr. Ravi attended the crash call for Baby M and noticed unusual patches of discoloration on his skin, which he said appeared similar to what he had seen in the cases of Baby A and Baby B. They administered six doses of adrenaline within a 25-minute period and resuscitation to Baby M before he stabilised. Medics were unable to find any cause for his sudden collapse. Luckily, just like his brother, Baby M went on to recover and was discharged from the hospital the following month. Dr. Evans said the likely cause of Baby M's sudden collapse was an injection of air. Early June, Baby N was born and in the hours after his birth, he was stabilised and his clinical condition was described as excellent. However, he did have a blood disorder which made him more prone to bleeding. Baby N suffered three deteriorations in June 2016 which were consistent with some kind of inflicted injury or him having received an injection of air. In the early hours of the 3rd of June, Baby N experienced a sudden deterioration and was heard screaming and crying for 30 minutes. It was said by medical experts that the incident was consistent with the boy having been attacked. On the 15th of June, Baby N suffered further collapses and bleeding was observed at the back of his throat, which Dr. Evans said that in his opinion, quote, the bleeding was a result of trauma to his upper airway. The next victim of these suspicious circumstances surrounding Lucy was one of the triplet brothers, Baby O, who was born in good condition in June 2016. He was classed as stable up until the afternoon of the 23rd of June, when he suffered a remarkable deterioration. It was at 1440 BST when he collapsed and was moved to Nursery 1, where the medics were able to stabilise him for a period. It was then at around 1615 that Baby O suffered a further collapse, which required resuscitation, including cardiac compressions but those efforts would prove to be futile and Baby O was unfortunately pronounced dead at 1747. A post-mortem examination uncovered 
own clotted blood in his body from a liver injury and the coroner certified death on the basis of natural causes and intra-abdominal bleeding. An independent pathologist who reviewed the case said that it was his opinion that Baby O had suffered an impact injury to his liver akin to a road traffic collision. It's been concluded by medical experts that Baby O died due to a combination of air being injected into his bloodstream and the injury to his liver. Baby P was one of Baby O's triplet brothers and was in the same room as him on the neonatal unit at Countess of Chester Hospital. He was placed under close observations following his brother's death as a precaution. Then at 9.35 BST on the 24th of June, Baby P was reviewed by a registrar and found to be self-ventilating in air and was classed as stable. Not 15 minutes later, he collapsed and suddenly required breathing support. He would go on to collapse several more times on the 24th of June for being pronounced dead at 1600 hours after 45 minutes of unsuccessful attempts at resuscitation. It is in Dr. Evans' views that the collapses were consistent with an additional amount of air being given to baby P during the morning of the 24th of June. Baby, baby Q, who was born late June and was initially stable but deteriorated and needed breathing support shortly after nine o'clock on the 25th of June. It is said that air and fluid had been injected into the boy's stomach via a nasogastric tube. Dr. Evans said that vomit was found on baby Q on the morning of the 25th of June and that this was evidence that liquid had been given to him by someone. He said that the subsequent respiratory problems that were experienced by baby Q were likely caused by the fluid placing pressure on his diaphragm, which prevented him from being able to That was heavy to go through, so we're going to take another break here for our true crime quiz question. And to give everyone a minute to just relax after all of that. I know I certainly need it. Um, I don't know if it was obvious I was getting, I was starting to get a little bit emotional. This week's question is, Anagram rearrange. Admonish Ralph for the name of another highly prolific British serial killer with a medical bent. If you think you know the answer, please comment it in the comment section below. If you're listening to us on YouTube or TikTok or comment on or comment it on our other social media platforms and stay tuned for next week's episode to see if you got it right. And while we are here, we are just going to give you that little reminder that if you like this video, please click that subscribe button and give us a like. Now, back to the case. Over to you, Turtle. We're now going to discuss the investigation. It appears to have initially started with an informal review that was conducted in June 2015 by a consultant and lead neonatologist at the Countess of Chester Hospital. NHS Patient Trust, which revealed some troubling details regarding four of the unexplained collapses that occurred in the same unit. Three of the cases raised in the review had resulted in deaths in the same month. It was observed that there was a common occurrence among the collapses. Lucy Letby had been on shift for each occasion. The neonatal unit's consultants promptly reported the deaths to the trustees committee responsible for addressing serious adverse incidents. The committee classified the death as, medica as medication 
cameras, rather serious incidents involving unexpected deaths, which prevented an immediate investigation from ensuing soon. The number of unexplained collapses were very abnormal, especially considering that previously there had been an average of two or three deaths a neonatal unit. What was even more peculiar about the collapses was that the babies didn't respond to resuscitation attempts as would have been expected. Normally babies that had their heartbeat come back would see an improvement in their breathing, but in these cases that didn't happen. And that was something that was distinctly unusual regarding these cases. Over to Echo. Two medical consultants told Detective Superintendent Paul Hughes, who would later lead the investigation, that baby collapses which occurred during the spike couldn't be explained, and certainly hadn't been expected either, both of which were unusual with infant collapses in general. A ward manager conducted her own review in October 2015. She noted that Lucy was the only member of staff consistently present throughout these incidences of unexplained collapses and deaths. This was then relayed to the lead neonatologist and further concerns were raised to management by the unit's consultants in the very same month. These concerns were either resisted by the trust executives or ignored. February 2016 was when the lead neonatologist alongside other consultants came to the conclusion of a thematic review that investigated five unexplained deaths and collapses that had occurred in the unit. This investigation also determined that there was only one common factor in each of these cases, and that was the presence of one particular staff member always being on shift, Lucy Letby. The lead neonatologist raised the findings via an urgent email to the trust medical director, which led to an eventual meeting that occurred in May 2016. The executive team deemed it to be mere coincidence and no action was taken. Back to you, Turtle. Then there was the report by the mothers and babies reducing risk through audits and confidential inquiries across the UK project, which found that the neonatal death rate was at least 10% higher than expected between June 2015 and June 2016. To add to this, the neonatal death total in 2015 had doubled that of the previous year, with the mortality rate rising above figures that would have been considered to be normal rates. At this point, we're going to leave it here so that it's not overwhelming to listen to all in one go. If you like the this episode please give us a like comment and subscribe if you're joining us on youtube please give us a like comment and subscribe if you're joining us on youtube if you're joining us on other platforms please give us a follow a rating and we hope to see you next week bye, bye.